Exploring the Word of God together allows us to share in the joy that comes from discovering the words of hope and salvation which overflow from our Bibles. Upper Room Media presents to you this educational, enlightening and entertaining Bible study. Prepare to be transformed. Here we are, last part of our series tonight. And the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So, I always like to recap just a little bit, but since it's our last one, we'll kind of recap. Um, we're just big topics, give everybody an opportunity to kind of share, like, what were big topics that we covered? over the course of this book? What's like one that stuck out to you? Predestination. Mm. Predestination was a big one. That That's one that really stuck out in my mind. One of the big things. And we were saying, just to kind of go off the predestination, that talking about predestination and, and foreknowledge. Um, and what we we're saying is that predestination is this idea of like things being predetermined. And what was predetermined was that Jesus was going to, or that God was going to send his only begotten son in order to save us, right? So the salvation for all mankind was planned. And the foreknowledge of that was him knowing that when he created humans, that they were going to fall in need. So all of this, like none of this was a surprise to God. All of this was prearranged and knew it was going to happen. And salvation was planned for all from the beginning, but salvation wasn't forced on them, right? Um, and then we talked, that was chapter one. Chapter two, we talked a lot about... Gentiles and Jews. Gentiles and Jews, right? Um, and, and what... And, and, and in chapter two is we're kind of talking about the Gentiles and Jews and we're saying that everybody is saved. Everybody is saved how? By the grace of God. By the grace of God. So faith, right? Saved by faith through the grace of God, only the grace of God. But there's a big but, right? Right? That it is not just we are saved by faith, but our faith is connected, inseparably connected to good works. Right, that we can't say that we have faith without the evidence of it, which is good works. Christian life cannot be a Christian life without good works, and we're pre and that, that we were all created for this. Right? Then, what we're saying is that as if we believe, right, and are saved, and we believe that we we're created for good works, that this life of following Christ and this life of good works is naturally going to lead us to live very differently. And how is living very differently going to be received by this world? Rejection. Rejection, right? Rejection is, is painful and it's lonely. And so in order to withstand the rejection, what do we need? A grounded in love. Exactly. Rooted and grounded in love, right? And, and then last, uh, we just kind of wrap it up. We're saying that love in action breeds unity. And another way of looking at it is that unity is a real test of love, right? That if you can figure out how to make it all work together, then, you know, it is a testament to the love that you have between. So St. Paul emphasized not only in Ephesians, but he emphasized in many places throughout uh, the New Testament, the need for, urge, the, the need for unity. But he also said that unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. Um, because for unity, to be unity, there needs to be diversity. He's talking about the diversity of gifts and how the church really um, functions and thrives on the diversity of gifts that we have present. Um, and as we work on our personal transformation, um, you know, work on, on, on 
on the gifts that we've been bestowed, which is part of our personal transformation. What does it do? It feeds the community. And likewise, the community feeds me, right? Mm -hmm. So it's this, this relationship that works synergistically together. So I can't say that my life and my choices exist in a vacuum. My life and my choices exist in part of the community. Right? And, and one of the things that is floating around in society is this emphasis of like autonomy and make your own choices and it's your life. And, and you know, that, that's pushed all throughout society and social media. But the reality is that no, it is not just your life. You live in community. No matter how much you think your decisions only affect you, your decisions affect everybody. Right. And so it's very much so true in the church. So the decisions we make affect everybody. And the decisions we make communally affects the individual. Right. So those are big topics that we covered over the last uh, last three weeks in this series. So realize that I didn't write any questions down. And I was preparing and then usually I come to the questions at the end and I forgot to write questions. So I'm going to give myself five seconds to think of a question. Or if somebody else has a question, I'm going to open it up. Um, what chapter do we have today? We're going to do five and six today. We're going to finish off. Should be a long vacation. Hmm? Should be a long vacation today. Uh, September or October. So yeah, Bible study next week. Uh, all right. No question is coming to my mind. So with that said, since we are going to try and, and, and work through two chapters, we're just going to cut to the chase and jump in, right? And, and kind of building off where we ended off in chapter four last week, and we're talking about like, you know, this personal transformation that leads to communal transformation and that, that sort of relationship. St. Paul is writing to the church and to the churches in Ephesus and the surrounding regions. And what we're saying is that these churches are a confluence of both Jews and Gentiles, right? Jews who have been, you know, somewhat established in, in the, you know, have a, a bit more of a foundation because they are Jews and they are the chosen people. So they have this unique relationship with God, but you know, one of the biggest hurdles they have to get over is the law of Moses. And then you have the Gentiles who are coming in who are, are pretty naive to what it is to be Christian. And so St. Paul has kind of laid out this, you know, foundation, so to speak, of what it is to be Christian, right? And, and he's talking about bringing both these ethnic groups together. And for everybody or anybody who comes into the faith through baptism, we are called to live a different life. And, and the question that St. Paul is going to jump into is like, okay, well, like what areas of my life are going to be different? Because if we're honest with ourselves, right, this probably would have been a good question, is that we tend to put our Christianity and our faith into boxes, right? Sometimes we open the box, sometimes we, we don't. Sometimes we like stand true to our faith and sometimes we're like, oh, my faith is inconvenient right now. I'm gonna put it to the side and I'm gonna deal with this either logically or based on social standards or whatever. So we have this ability to compartmentalize our faith. And and St. Paul, over the next two chapters, is going to begin to bring in these scenarios in which, well, when we believe, yes, we need to work for unity and love and, and fashion the diversity of gifts inside the church. But does our faith just exist inside the church? And the answer is obviously no. So now St. Paul kind of opens up the door and says, okay, what else changes in my life? when I come into the church, when I come into this relationship with, 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 um, with God. So that's where chapters five and six are going to take us. So with that said, we're going to jump in and we will start off. I'll get us started by reading verses one through seven. Okay. 
says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. The fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as it is named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse gesturing, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. All right, so to get going, like St. Paul is addressing this understanding of what it is to walk in love. And if you think of love, love is quite possibly the most talked about theme or idea in society, right? right. Money and love are right? two things that drive us like crazy, right? When you think of all the, you know, the different genres of music and the types of music and the artists, like, what are they mostly speaking of? Love. I love this person. This person broke my heart. Love is this. Like, like everybody paints love out to be whatever they want it to be, right? And they push their agenda for love, right? Love is to accept everybody the way that they are. And so St. Paul, in these first couple of verses, goes straight to this idea of love. And he says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for sweet-smelling aroma. Right? So St. Paul defines the act of love as a sacrifice for the other. When we love as Christ loves, then it's, it's naturally sacrificial, which means it's going to hurt. Right? It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to take from us. This is what sacrificial love is. When you, you know, consider service and you consider serving somebody else and loving somebody else, sometimes it hurts to give, especially when you feel like, okay, there's, there's nothing in return. Okay, that is a sacrificial love. Sometimes we sacrifice our finances, our times, our efforts, our energy. We can sacrifice so much, but all of it, when we're sacrificing for the other, begins to bring the aroma of Christ into the equation, into the relationship. So having been baptized into the family of God, one is to imitate him, right? And in the imitation of God, what that does is actually draws us closer to him, right? And what do we like say in, or St. Paul says in Philippians that we may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings, right? And, and his suffering was an act of love. And when we sacrifice, it's an act of love. And so we participate with him. It's how we grow. But interestingly, right, so he gives this introduction or on, on what is love and that love is sacrificial, but he juxtaposes it next to actions that take us away. He says our sacrifice of love towards others brings us closer, but then right next to it, he, said, he talks about what is going to bring us apart, right? What takes us away? So St. Paul is being very real about the situation. And, and so he, he lists all these activities, you know, fornication, which was very commonplace for any Gentile. Remember, Ephesus was a port city. And so, you know, there was a whole influx of different idols and different beliefs and gods and, and you know, different, you know, pagan practices. This was the people that he was talking about. And, and so to touch on fornication, which is, Another way of like saying sexual immorality, right? And wanting what our neighbor had, all these sort of things shouldn't be part of our lives. So, like I was saying at the beginning, what is five and chapters five and six going to focus on? Like, well, to what extent does my belief infiltrate into my life? And so for the Gentile, he's he's saying that our belief in God infiltrates to some of the the core things of what you thought were okay 
we're setting those straight. This is the depth of how we, we see God transforming us. And what St. Paul in verse 6 specifically says, where he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. What do you think St. Paul is trying to address in this verse? Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. What is this verse? What did what did Roman go over? Uh, verse six, chapter five, verse six. He's talking. He's saying. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I thought he's talking about people who preach and don't do uh, the right thing. Okay, that, that what will happen? That this, this um, the wrath of God is on these people. Okay, he's coming for these behaviors, right? Let no one deceive you with empty words, all right? So there's a couple ways that we can kind of look at this. When you think of somebody who's being baptized and in, in coming into the faith, you can you can can understand these verses saying like don't be deceived by somebody who says like well I want to be saved might as well get baptized but I'm not going to change anything about my life right that's empty words right and what are the words during the baptismal right granted this is what we do now but there was something similar back in in, in place then what do we ask the person who's going to be baptized? To change. Not not to change. All the rites talk about the change, but at the like the key point of the baptism is what do we ask the person? And if it's an infant, we ask the parents. To turn away from the, the world and to and to turn to God. Okay. Yeah, it and I'm gonna simplify. Yes, I that's what they're answering for. But the question is, do you believe? The call and response or the question and the response is, do you believe? I, I believe. Do you believe? I believe. Right? Do you believe? We do it three times. Make sure. Right? <laughs> so there's no confusion. Like, and, and what, do, like, what are they saying? I believe to? I believe in, in my salvation. I believe of, of the sacrifice and the death and the resurrection, the ascension of Christ and all these things. And that I believe in, in the life he is calling me to. And I believe that this is the mark of that beginning. Right? That's what we're saying, I believe too. Don't be deceived that somebody would come and say, I believe, and not change anything. Okay, then what was the baptism? Right? There's empty words. Empty words. Right? And if somebody were to, thank God it hasn't happened yet, but I've never asked somebody, like, do you believe? And they said, nope. Then we'd stop the baptism. If somebody were to say that. So don't be deceived, right? We can't say one thing and then live a different life, is, is what St. Paul is ultimately getting at, right? Which is a consistent theme throughout the book, right? St. Paul is just kind of like he's adding layers and layers and layers to his argument, right? Which, not to you know, sidetrack us, but to even go back to you know chapter one, this whole idea of predestination that the Calvinists hold that well, once you're chosen, you can be you're saved no matter what, right? So you can choose to live sort of any life that you want. Although they really push a spiritual life or a righteous life, but at the end of the day, their belief is even if you don't make efforts in that, if you're chosen, you're saved. Which is not what Saint Paul is saying by the end of it. Don't be deceived by empty words. Right, And so saying we need to be vigilant about all these different things that influence us, because if we're not careful, we can be swept away. All right. Somebody read 8 through 14. 8 through 14. 
for you, you were even once in darkness, but now you are in light in the Lord. Walk of as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit and uh, all righteousness and truth, finding out what's acceptable to the, to the Lord, have no fellowship with unfruitful words of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's people even to speak of those things which are uh, done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Um, for whatever makes manifest, manifest is light. Therefore, he, he says, awake, he, you will arise from the dead. Christ will give you that, will give you light. All right. So here, like what we'll be saying is, again, this is all focused on the church. The entrance of the church is baptism. And baptism marks the beginning of the journey with Christ. Now, any relationship always starts off like superficial and becomes deeper. The question is, what gets our relationship? What allows our relationship to reach, to become deeper with God? Right? So he brings this idea of sowing to the Spirit. Right? As we sow to the Spirit, then we, we, we have this deeper relationship with God. If you were to articulate like sowing to the spirit, right, or give it more concrete form, what would it look like? What does a life that sows to the spirit look like? Would be a pious life. Okay, pious life. Good. I mean, just look at verse 9 where it says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Right? So he's giving it a, a little bit more form instead of just allowing it to be ambiguous, saying giving it a bit more form. And he's saying, as we do this, what, what happens as we sow, you know, towards doing good acts, right? Towards leading a righteous life, towards pursuing and understanding faith. Faith. What comes in that process? What are we able to do? Repeat chest x-ray. It would not be to repeat a chest x-ray. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, what would we... Like, what, what is he saying happens? Look at verse 11. Is that you should stay um, away from unfruitful works. Okay. So stay away from unfruitful works. And what else? They get exposed. Okay, exposed, right? This is that that's the key thing that I want to to expose the things that are happening inside of us. Right? We're all big we're all susceptible to the influences around us, which is why St. Paul is saying, like, distance yourself from these negative influences. Why? Because you're exposed enough to them, right? They're going to find their way in, and so we need to expose them. And when we expose them, we manifest them to light. And when we manifest them to light, then there's an opportunity for change. But if it lies dormant, then there's no change. So he, he's in a way talking about this process of repentance because repentance looks inside, looks at our sins, focuses on our sins, brings them to the light. And when we bring them to the light, then you know, change happens. One of the things, like the imagery that I always have in my mind, you know, when you're on like, you know, some sort of, you know, power, if you're doing like a PowerPoint and you're trying to find the right color and, and you get to click on on like the, the color template thing. And at the bottom, you'll see your color. And on one spectrum, there's black. And on the other end of it, on the other end of the continuum, it's white. 
and you have the cursor that kind of moves. And you move closer to the black, you get more intensity of the black. You move closer to the white, the black is still present, but the intensity of it is less. The concentration of it is less. When we reflect and we repent, what happens is that we're kind of moving that cursor closer to the white. Do we ever get rid of like all the black nodes? That happens in the life to come. But what we do is we have more white, which makes seeing the black more obvious. And, and repentance allows us to do that when we call out the sin for what it is. Right? And so repentance is that continuation of baptism. Right? Baptism marks the beginning. Repentance is like the daily baptism. And that whole process awakes us from our sin. All right, let's keep on moving. I'm going to read 15 through 21. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for the things to cut to God, giving, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. All right. What does circumspectly mean? What does it mean to be circumspect? What person was uh, verse 15. It, it, I think it's uh, look around like a 360 degree perspective, all sides of the matter. All right. Not exactly. All right. Any other takers? Does, does it have to do with circumcision? No. Nope. So don't follow the trend blindly, but uh, expose everything uh, through the Spirit of God and see what is appropriate and what is not. Okay, so we're, we're, we're definitely getting warmer. Okay, we're definitely going, what Melania was saying is that like, don't just follow the trends, kind of be looking and seeing like what's happening and, and don't allow things to just kind of come into to your life, okay? Monitor our actions. Monitor our actions, okay, good. We're getting warm, okay? I'm gonna read a different translation. This is from the Orthodox Study Bible, where it says, therefore beware how strictly you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, All right? Why, and I think strictly is easier to understand, and, and it helps us gather um, the sentiment of what Paul is trying to say in these verses. What does somebody who is new to the faith and to the church and he's like getting this letter and this letter is saying like don't fornicate. Okay. My whole life was, was fornicating. Okay. Don't be unclean. Everything I did was unclean. Right. And, and he gets all these lists of things that he's not supposed to do but he's doing that. Or, or he lived a whole life doing them. So they're very like second nature. How can somebody, if you have the right personality type, how could somebody respond to that? Like, oh my gosh, I took out this new vow. Like I have to change everything in my life. Like right now from day one, right? There are some people who are like, want to change immediately everything that they do. And so what do they do? They put these very strict rules on themselves to the point that they can't maintain the transformational process. So what St. Paul is saying is, is, therefore, beware of how strictly you walk. He's understanding, he's saying like, this transformation is going to be a process. If you're doing this your entire life, don't think that after baptism, like, boom, your, your troubles are gone or your old behaviors are gone. Or just because you identified a behavior and read a book on it, 
like it's gonna you know resolve itself. No, you're a human being. It's going to be difficult. So be wise in how you begin that transformation. Like, yes, push yourself to uphold a higher moral standard, but also have grace on yourself that when you fall, don't like demonize yourself. Like, oh, I'm a bad person. Oh, I shouldn't have been baptized. Oh, like all these different things. That's not like, that's not a healthy behavior. So you're saying be vigilant, but don't be too strict. But what he's also not saying is don't be too loose. And the reason, and like, what kind of like pads what he's saying is that don't be strict, don't be too strict, don't be too loose. And what is important is that how, what you surround yourself, right? Because if you're too loose, but you allow yourself to, to kind of still be in that same social circle, for example, you're going to get sucked back in, right? So give yourself a little bit of grace, but surround yourself and put yourself in the right environment with the right influences, good influences. And allow kind of the vigilance and the wisdom govern like how hard you are on yourself, right? We always need to be working towards repentance. We always need to be working towards improving ourselves and, and allowing God's grace to come and do its good work in us. But when we're too strict, we now like fall in this realm of legalism and being judgmental. Because all of a sudden, like, let's say we succeed in something, but somebody else, like, fails it. <laughs> what do we do? Start to point finger. Not as good as me. I transform much faster than you. Right? When we're too strong. So we have to allow for there to be grace in the process of our transformation. We allow, like, some slack, so to speak. But we have to do it when we're in a good environment. Because that good environment will continue to bring us up. Does that point make sense? Yes. All right, good. There's a question in the chat. Give me one second. Be wise. Exactly. Be wise of your expectations of yourself. Well, well put, Mary. All right. So we need to hold ourselves. You know, we need to have the goal in front of us, which is Christ. It says, be holy for I am holy. That's always the goal. But it wouldn't be wise to say, well, if I don't know everything exactly like him, then I'm a heathen. That's not wise. Right? But I always have to have the goal and work towards our, work towards the goal and realize, okay, I may backslide, but the good surrounding is going to catch me and, and get me going back on the right track. All right. Now, before we move into the last part of chapter five, okay? We're saying, what does five and six cover? Think of a Gentile coming into the church. Like, how much of my life are you going to get into? St. Paul is moving on. All right. So what's the next part of life? That the gospel, right, and the faith affects is our marriages. All right. So let's read. This is what we read during our uh matrimonial uh, sacrament. And so it's appropriate that we read it today. But we're going to read it. And I'll be honest, like talking about the family and really diving into these verses needs its own time and space. So we're not going to get into great detail. We're just going to pull out themes from it that are consistent with the themes we've been seeing throughout the entire book. Okay. So wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, 
but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is the great this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Right? So I guess that loaded verse. Who are we talking to? We're talking about the Gentile who's now come into the church and has no context for the significance of marriage. So what St. Paul is doing is, is kind of laying this groundwork of this is what marriage is about. This is the, the, the beauty and the mystery of marriage. So he's trying to paint a framework for which anybody who comes into the church would understand marriage. And, and as we're going to see in chapter six, family, right? Our children. And all this, you know, is kind of built on this understanding of how Christ loved the church. And what do we say at the beginning of this chapter? How, what was Christ's love? What was Christ's love? Huh? And he was describing it by the how that sacrificial love, sacrificial, right? Giving, right? Yet it's interesting that he starts off by saying, "Wives submit to your husband," right? But that's what we like, kind of our, our first read of this. But if we put the whole book together, all right, we tend sometimes we read a chapter and we forget to contextualize it within the whole book. What did he do in, in chapter one? He said, from the beginning, the plan where we knew that human humanity would mess up and then God would send his son to be sacrificed on the cross for the salvation of the world. That's the underlying premise. That's the foundation. So that foundation is saying God loved us when we did absolutely nothing to earn his love. And so understanding that first, then if we go and read where he says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, right? It's, it's saying that with the understanding that, okay, he said, what did the Lord do? He sacrificed for the church. So there's already like an, a baseline understanding that this is what the husband should do. And then in verse 23, he says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. Uh, husbands, love your wives. Sorry, verse 25. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Right? So this, like, it was determined from the beginning. God would sacrifice for the church. And so husbands, from the beginning, would be to sacrifice from to their wives or for their wives. And then in response, Jesus, God sacrificed. Then did he force the church on himself or he invited the church? It was an invitation. Mm -hmm. Do you want to come? Right? And this is what every woman should be asking herself before getting married. This is a guy sacrificing. Right? And then you choose. Okay, do I want to go into this relationship with somebody who is going to love me sacrificially? Onus is on the husband. Onus is on the husband to love sacrificially. It's the foundation of the marriage. It's the mystery of Christ in the church. And for marriages to work well, it's got to be the foundation of how the husband sacrifices for his wife and also for the kids. And then the wife chooses Okay, do I willingly choose to submit to somebody who is sacrificing for me? When we don't see the sacrifice of husband to wife, submission gets screwed, get, gets skewed in its understanding. 
the only way to really understand submitting is, is with that foundation of sacrifice. And the problem is that we don't see the sacrifice enough. And so when we come and say like, okay, submit, it's almost like you're lording a power over the wife, which was never what Christ did. It was never his approach. His approach was a sacrifice. I laid down my life, and it's up to you to come and follow. You want to obey? Okay. You want to come toward me? It's up to you. But I'm not going to force it. So the husband can't force submission. It should, he should never force submission. It was never the way of Christ. So much to talk about in these verses. And so when you kind of look at what is called upon for both the husband and for the wife, are they both going to be perfect? Is he going to be perfect in sacrificing everything for her? And is she going to be perfect in submitting and obeying? No, it's an ongoing work. And it's really messy. Right? It's difficult. There's a lot of tension around this in marriages. Again, let's bring in another theme that we talked about, which is how the individual, kind of the relationship of like the individual and the church on how like they feed each other. Right? And we see this kind of relationship happening again between husband and wife. Like when the husband realizes I've been selfish and I have been sacrificed. And the wife has been, well, I've been really like harsh and I haven't been like respectful of him. Both have things to work on. When both work on, you know, what is appropriate to them, marriage becomes transformational. Transformational to what end? Salvation. Because the husband needs to figure out how to sacrifice better and be more loving. The woman and the wife needs to learn to show, like, respect, um, you know, within within the marriage. And when the two are constantly working on these things, it becomes transformational, right? And a woman like would be more likely to submit to somebody who has sacrificed their entire life. To ask them to submit to somebody else who isn't going to sacrifice, say no, run for the hills, right? But say yes to somebody who's going to sacrifice for you in order to lift you Right? This process for the two of them is transformational. And that's why we see our marriage sacrament as being salvific in nature, meaning working towards our salvation. Any thoughts or questions on that one? I'll try and do chapter six a little bit like easier. Or shorter. Right. So to what extent does God get into our lives when we commit to him? We talked about our you know, social groups. We talked about our own personal behaviors. We talked about husband and wife. And now we're going to dive into children. All right. So in the summary, read Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the law. Admonition, yeah. Tough word. All right. So children, if you have children, they bring a whole new level of sacrifice into your life. Right, And it's upon this foundation of sacrifice that children are called to obey and honor. Right, Nobody is ever forced into these ideas of, of to obey and honor. It's all said like, do this when this is happening. Right? That's what the understanding is. Right? Honoring and obeying parents, so becomes the first step in their discipleship to Christ. And right? so for kids, it's hard to like have this understanding of, 
what it is at a young age to be a disciple of Christ. But what will they need? Well, they need to learn to obey and they will need to learn to honor, right? These are two things that they will have to do towards Christ. As adults, we have a better idea of it. We're still learning it. But our first steps in that direction come out of the honor and obedience that we give to our parents, right? But this works when the foundation is that of sacrifice. Right? But St. Paul acknowledges that not every parent is going to be doing this. Right? Not every parent is going to love sacrificial, you know, so well. Right? There are a lot of nasty things that a parent can do. So what does St. Paul say? He says, okay, don't provoke. Right? Don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't agitate them and then say, well, you better respect them. You better honor them. Right? It's not the spirit of what we're getting at. Right? When he says, like, bring them up, right? Bring them up, you know, in, in the training and the admonition, right? This is an ongoing process. There's an ongoing process in which you're instructing your child first on how to obey you because you show them love and you provide for them. But ultimately, you want that obedience to transfer to God. And so you're just, you're, you're going to teach them, right? And he's in, what St. Paul is realizing, this is an ongoing process. And again, going back to like some of these themes that we see woven in, the more you see how you need to improve as a parent, the more it's going to you know, challenge you to deepen your relationship with God, which then leads to your personal transformation and so into the spirit and da 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 right? We see these themes coming up over and over and over. All right. To what extent does believing get into my life? St. Paul hits another one. It says, bond servants, we're going to read five through nine. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you, masters, do the same thing to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. St. Paul is giving practical instruction on how to live in society. And one of the things that was existing in society was slavery. Just because St. Paul is giving instructions to a bondservant or to a slave, doesn't mean that the gospel or a faith supports slavery. If he's giving instruction to a bondservant, right? Does it mean that he is supporting slavery? Okay, I agree. He's supporting obedience. Because he's not speaking to the master, he's speaking to the slaves. He's expected to be obedient. So, and is that fruit of that Holy Spirit? To have him be obedient to God. Okay. I agree. The ultimate goal is obedience. And he kind of gets to that when he says, do your work as unto the Lord, not unto man. Because one of the, the ideas that St. Paul is, is saying is that even if you're a slave and you think you're a slave of circumstance, your circumstance does not lie outside of God's control or his will. Right? Remember all the way back when we did the life of Joseph. Joseph was a slave. Was he a slave of circumstance or was he a slave in God's plan? Slave in God's plan, right? And his faithfulness to his time in, in, in the prison was a testament to that, which really like really captures what St. Paul is saying, like, do your work, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God. So agree to your point of obedience, you know, and, and 
St. Paul is, is saying like, ultimately, you need to see that everything you do is unto God and not unto me, right? And be obedient. And God never calls us to be lazy, right? He calls us to be vigilant and work, right? But to the point that I was saying is in does the fact that he's speaking to a slave condone slavery? No, it doesn't, because even from the Old Testament, this I, and this is a topic for another day, like, but slavery was a huge part of society. And and when you look, even you know Old Testament characters, some of them had slaves. But the way that they treated the slaves was still very advanced as compared to other nations. So they were in the, God was in the process of breaking free of this. What, even though St. Paul is talking to slaves, slavery is not believed by the church within Christianity. Slavery is not you know, something that we support, but it was a reality in society. And we have to learn how to deal with the reality of society until we can you know progress from it. so he was dealing with the real situations he said okay the situation isn't good it's not one that we want but when you're in the situation know that all things are within the control of god so conduct yourself with that knowledge in mind right this is the paradigm that i want you to think that everything is within the control of god and when you do that then you work hard knowing that God sees, and when he says that God sees, and don't worry, he will deal with it. He will deal with it. And at the same time, he's talking to slave owners, saying, if you happen to own a slave, right, be careful the way that you treat them. That you treat them with respect. Because in the eyes of God, it doesn't matter if you're a slave or you're free. You're both the same. You've both been saved. St. Paul, through the book of Ephesians, has kind of broken down like social, like, you know, or cultural differences, but now he's also breaking down social differences, right? That it doesn't matter who you are, where you stand on, on the societal totem pole, like, everybody is the same. All right. We got one last big section. And then we'll, we'll be done. Can somebody read 10 through 20? I am my, my, uh, my brethren. Uh, be strong and the Lord and power is my. Put on the, the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the, the wiles of the devil. For uh, we don't. Uh, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against our principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the, this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to uh, withstand in the, in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded uh, uh, the waist with truth, having put on the, the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with uh, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fairy darts in the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayers and supplication in the spirit being watchful to uh, to this end with with all observance in supplication of uh, for all the saints, and for me that the uh, uh, utterance may be given to me. May, may I uh, open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an I'm ambassador in chains, that and it, I may speak uh, boldly as I as I ought to speak. All right, thank you. All right, so this is one of the more famous um, passages in Scripture known as the, the armor, the whole armor. Right? In this passage, right, there are spiritual weapons that are likened to weapons on a soldier. 
right? I outlined seven of them. What I want you to do is kind of read through. I mean, what is a spiritual weapon? And what does it actually mean to have it as a spiritual weapon? Right? What is one of the spiritual weapons that we're to take up? And what does it actually mean? Like, how does this spiritual weapon work? Or what do we do with this spiritual weapon? A spiritual weapon is to, uh, it helps to uh, to direct the mind and the heart towards the right thing. Agreed. And have the spiritual weapons in, in kind of the passage that we read. So choose a spiritual weapon that you read, but then also say like, what is like, what's the significance of this spiritual weapon? So I'll give you an example. Right, so we say the helmet of salvation. What is that spiritual weapon? Well, it's the hope in in the resurrection or the hope in, in salvation to come. It's this idea of keeping our eyes on the price. Right? The helmet of salvation, always thinking like, I don't want to lose my salvation, so I need to be thinking towards heaven. Right? Helmet of salvation. I took one off the board. The shield of uh, faith yes. that quenches the fiery darts. Okay. It's a, um, a, a protection for whatever the devil kind of throws at you. Okay. So, so like, even when you think of, of the soldier who had the shield, like, it would protect him from different, you know, attacks. And so the, the shield of faith is that this trust that God will deliver us, that he will you know, cover us, he will protect us, right? In, in bad situations. Good, another one off the board. Breastplate um, of righteousness. Good. Um, Great. I'll give you a second. I'm going to come back to you for what is the breath, breastplate of righteous, righteousness? What is the, the girding truth? Yeah, yeah, please. So Jesus said that I am the truth. Mm hmm. You're right, you're right. Come on. What was the truth that he was proclaiming? Jesus was here. He's saying like, I am the son of God. Right? I was from the beginning. I died and I rose and I will raise you up at the last day. Right? This is the truth that we believe. And what are like what does the world say? Like, you believe that, I believe this, like everything's all relative, right? Your truth is your truth, my truth. No, 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 there is truth. And not everything can be true, right? So girding ourselves with truth is living based on, you know, living this Christian life, which is radically different than society, but doing so knowing that is based on something true, right? Coming back to you. Respirate of righteousness. What has St. Paul like been challenging us to do, like in 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 how we you know what we say, what we do, like how we act, the company that we keep, Christian living, right? Mm -hmm. Our Christian living. Making sure that we're doing things right, that we are pursuing after holiness of life. All right, what else? Truth, breastplate of righteousness, 
shield of faith, helmet of salvation, three more. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Excellent. What does that mean? It sounds really Prepare cool. Every day. What? Sorry? Get busy. Prepare yourself every day to give an account. Okay. Give an account of what you'll do. So I'm going to add to it and say, like, it's our willingness to go out and preach the gospel. Amen. Right? Like soldiers would go... And, and the gospel or the good news was that we won the battle, right? That's what a soldier would go and do. He would declare, we won the battle, there is peace. What is our gospel? That Christ won the battle with death. And therefore, we have peace with him. Right? So it's the preaching of the message of the gospel. Two more. Good. Why is this? What is it? The, the word of God. Okay. Which is? Scripture. Scripture, right? We say scripture, or our understanding now is scripture. Like, was it scripture back then? No, the Bible is still being written. Right, so the Bible wasn't even in existence by this time. Paul was actively writing the Bible when he wrote this, right? Um, but it's it's kind of understand as it's a spoken word of the gospel, right? The church, right, and and the apostles and the disciple, like the disciples and the apostles and their own disciples, were going out and spreading the the word, right? And and so it was this kind of like Hmm. Like all the summation of the teachings was like, if if you will, kind of compiling the the the, the spoken word of our faith or the articulation of our faith, right? And and one of the things that happened, right, is that as people were dying, the church had to articulate why they were dying. We had to articulate why we were living the way that we were living, right? And a lot of the scripture in the gospels is articulating to people why we live this way. Interestingly, everything, all the, the different spiritual weapons that we have, actually all of them are defensive except for this one. This one is offensive. This is the only offensive weapon that we have. But just like a, a soldier would use the sword with brutality. But our sword isn't brutality. Yes, our, our words and how we articulate our faith Right, is offensive because there's a, a rational element, there's a logical element to our faith. It's not only logical and only rational, but there is that element, right, where we can debate with somebody. But our goal isn't to defeat our opponents, our goal is to win our opponents to the faith, right? So it's offensive, right, being able to talk about our faith, but for the purpose of winning them, not defeating. Right, and the last one is prayer. Right, and and it talks about two prayers: general prayer and prayer of request, uh, of a of a request, which is a supplication. Right, and and we need to be vigilant during battle. And one of the ways that we're vigilant during battle is through you know prayer, life of prayer. Um, we are over on time, and so I want to we're way over in time, so I, I want to wrap up. We're not going to read the last couple of verses. Right. But one of the things that we talk about in our spiritual lives is crafting a spiritual rule. Right. And the spiritual rule is under understanding of these are all the different practices or, or tools that I use in a in a bit of a systematic way in order to facilitate my relationship with God. And so when we craft our spiritual rules, one of the things that we should be considering are, are some of the things like mentioned here right so for example the reading of scripture how do we read scripture how often do we read scripture praying when am i praying what am i using to pray? all the you know you know questions that have to do with prayer so it's good for us to think in what ways am i incorporating this whole armor because 
The battle before me is huge. The evil in this world is enormous. I sometimes see the battle as the person in front of me, but what St. Paul says here is the battle is far bigger than the person just in front of me. Right? So I need to have my mind on that battle, and so I need to begin to use all these different pieces of armor to protect myself, but also the one offensive weapon that we have, which is scripture, you know, to be prepared. So these are things that we want to think about and consider when we um, after our spiritual needs. I'm over on time, so I'm going to close in prayer. And if anybody has a question afterwards, I'm happy to answer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Thank you, Lord, for all your blessings this day, uh, this time together. We ask you, Lord, to um, allow these words and to sink into our hearts, to see that truly when we believe in you, you come and, and affect every part of our life, um, from our you know, personal actions to the groups that we are around, to what we expose ourselves to, to our marriages, to our work, um, and how we prepare to live in this world. Um, truly, Lord, a belief in you is a total um, conviction that you uh, are to be a part of every avenue and facet of my life. So help us to see that always, to continue to uncover the areas that we have not let you in. Um, and then proceed to, to shed light on those areas. Be with all my brothers and sisters here, uh, present with us tonight and throughout the study. And here is as we say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On because earth, on earth is in heaven. You will sustain and bear You will serve trespasses. Lead us not into temptation. Christ, All right, everybody. Have a good night. Next week, um, we will still have Bible study, but we'll be doing our travel edition of Bible studies. We'll be jumping around to different houses. Um, everybody is more than welcome to join at any of the houses um, that we're going to, um, but we will still be broadcasting every week. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Have a great night, everybody. You too. Later, Ed. Bye. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.